here we go. Welcome to the Nine Rap Fantasy Superbowl Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast, episode three. We are uh, going to discuss our wide receiver rankings and some discrepancies that we have. The same thing we did with the running backs last week. Just do some wide receivers this week. And, you know, we, we're we're pretty far off on some guys. We're fairly close on most, but the ones that we are, that we do see pretty differently, we're going to give our takes on basically just why we feel the way we feel about these guys and decide for yourself which way you want to go with it. But uh, obviously both of us have our own reasons why we feel, you know, some of these players should be uh, ranked a little bit higher or a little bit lower than the other. Yeah. Uh, I mean, wide receiver, uh, obviously, again, this is based on a PPR concept. So you're getting maybe a half point, a point, or depending on your league, who knows? Uh, again, that's, that's that concept. You have bonuses maybe for yardage, uh, long touchdowns, things of that nature where they do allow for it. So again, there are some uh, outliers and anomalies from a week-to-week basis, but talking about drafting people based off of previous performance, expected performance, and uh, free agent traffic and, and everything. The thing with the wide receivers is it correlates so much to quarterback play uh, and vice versa. That's where it stands. The running backs they can still make their bones just running the ball, scoring touchdowns and, and doing their thing. So again, what, what Pat just said is true, that we are going to give you some ideas of people that we feel a certain kind of way about for or against, uh, you know, a little higher or lower in the pecking order based on what we've seen and what we know from playing this game for many years and, uh, you know, hopefully years to come. All right. So let's just dive right into it. I don't think uh, we have so many players that we want to talk about that I think we should probably not waste any time and and just jump right in. You got it. Okay, so the first player we're going to talk about is AJ Brown. He's going right now as the wide receiver eight, according to consensus ADP. I have him ranked at six, which is obviously a little bit higher. You have him down at 17th. Uh, I'm curious to hear why you're so low on him. Considering he finished 11th last year, offense hasn't changed a whole lot. I'm curious to hear your take on that. I, I do agree that he is a, a big talent and I know a lot of people are high on him. And when it comes to drafting, you're going to go on previous year stats, things of that nature. Just taking a look at, at what he did last year, numbers wise, he was he was pretty solid. You know, he was 70 catches, 106 targets, over a thousand yards and 11 touchdowns. Now, in theory, you're going to have some regression from that, especially on the touchdown side. You are talking about the Tennessee Titans, and that offense runs through one guy, uh, and it's Derrick Henry. He hasn't slowed down a bit. He's probably still got a good year or two to stay at his 300-plus carries, uh, barring an injury, God forbid. Uh, he had 378 carries. He also had 31 targets, so again, he can... Make a player or two out of the backfield, but he's not he's not that guy. Also looking at a guy that recently was acquired. Um, his name is Julio Jones. And I know a lot of people after last year are going to be very low on him because he was injured a lot and he only played nine games with Atlanta. But that to me is a little bit of an outlier. He's played through injuries. He's a guy who 
statistically, even last year, if you look at what he could have brought to the table, if he had played a whole season, he would have put up pretty much similar numbers to what he had done, uh, what he had done in previous years. Uh, actually, was a little more effective touchdown wise, which was kind of ironic because he's never been that guy. When Ryan Tannehill drops back and he looks downfield, obviously he's going to have AJ Brown. He's not going to have Corey Davis anymore, and Corey Davis was a big part of the offense last year. Uh, he's moved on to the New York Jets in, in the hopes of bigger and better things. Uh, but he was uh, damn near a thousand yard wide receiver. Uh, he was 984 yards. He had five touchdowns. He averaged 13.7, so called 14 points a game. Uh, AJ Brown averaged 17, almost 18 points a game. But when you look at it at the end of the day, Julio Jones was right there based on the games he played. He was 16 points a game. Tennessee is a run first team. So looking back at their stats, they are the third fewest pass attempts last year in the league. And, and again, that's having AJ Brown as a thousand year wide receiver. He was their alpha. He was their number one guy. You've brought in a guy who, uh, you know, uh, you may go off of, of reputation, but Julio Jones and AJ Brown, if you gave me them in the NFL, I'm going to go with Julio Jones before Brown, just based on his pedigree and years of knowing what he can do. Brown could become the next Julio. Absolutely. But I can't go off of one year and hope that he's going to be the same. He was last year. The competition between Julio Jones and Corey Davis isn't even an argument to me. So now when you put those two guys out there, I, I feel like you kind of want to lean that he's going to see a little more target share if he stays healthy. Um, looking back with Atlanta and at what he had done, I mean, even at 2019, Julio Jones playing 15 games, uh, he was 99 catches on 157 targets for 1,394 yards and six touchdowns. If he can bring similar production uh, again, based on health, that probably is one of the big things people are worried about because he's 32 years old. But if he brings that to the table, he's going to be the guy he leans on more. AJ Brown is very reliant on big plays. He's had a lot of games where he has done his damage with one big catch for 78 yards, things of that nature. Like he really is a guy to keep an eye on for making big plays. So if he's gaining a lot of his on that, you're going to get the bonuses. You're going to get things maybe in a a week-to-week -week level, but at the end of the day, I feel like he plays in a weaker division. Now, I feel like this offense really, again, it runs through Henry, but adding Julio Jones, you're not adding uh, a random free agent wide receiver to just take targets away. He's a guy who's going to be in the Hall of Fame when it all comes down to it, and I think that when it comes to Julio Jones now being a part of that offense, as long as he stays healthy and stays on the field, uh, A.J. Brown will regress based on just regressing to the mean if you're looking at numbers, but also because of the fact that you have that guy who is the bigger alpha on the field. You feel like obviously Henry is the one Julio will sort of become the two and A.J. Brown sort of falls to the third option on that team. Is that is that basically your your thought third, process there? Third, yes. And in a sense, while it sounds oh, OK, he's the third. Uh, Tennessee could be a 13-14 win team, but it's Derrick Henry 1, it's Julio Jones 2, and it's A.J. Brown 3, and not a bad 3, but I'm taking Jones over Brown 9 times out of 10. Let me throw. Let me just throw some numbers at you. This is stuff that I was looking at. Looking at A.J. Brown's career, talking about number 1 
you know, versus number two. Obviously, he has always been, since he's been there, he's pretty much been the number one option on that team. He's, you know, like you said, he's he's had guys like Corey Davis opposite him, you know, guys like Adam Humphreys, stuff like that. Like, he, he's, he hasn't had someone like Julio Jones across from him on the other side. But when you look at his career, so he's been in the league for two years. If you look at the first, let's say, nine games of his career, uh, he played less than 70% of the snaps. That was his rookie year. They were getting him sort of worked in. Uh, but if you look at the games after that, just including, so going from week 10 of 2019 to the end of 2020, he finished as a wide receiver two, uh, nine of those 14 games. So a wide receiver, you know, two is, is 24th or better in a, in a 12 team league prior to 2019, he wasn't playing as much. And finally, like around week 10 is when he finally became featured in that offense. He scored 16 touchdowns in those 20 games, and he only had four games last year that he didn't score. So talk about how much the team relies on him. He's definitely the guy, like you said, Julio Jones, even in Atlanta, was not catching a ton of touchdowns. And I don't think that's going to be, yeah, that's just never been his thing. And I don't think he's going to just all of a sudden become this red zone threat now that you know maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe team's game plan for aj brown and julio gets the number two cornerback on the team either way you can't cover both and i i can easily see both of those guys getting 115 to 130 targets and if you look at you know your top guys throughout the season the guys who are getting over 130 targets are basically your top 15 guys now yeah, like I yeah said, you just have, on accident. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You have AJ Brown as wide receiver, you know, 17, let's say 17th um, in your rankings. I think that is his absolute floor. Like, I don't think there's any way that, uh, you know, again, barring injury, I don't think that there's any way that he finishes any lower than 17. I think that the reason the Tennessee Titans brought Julio Jones in is because they didn't want Derrick Henry having to carry the ball 378 times. Now, I don't have any inside knowledge i don't know anybody uh in the titans organization but i do know that coaches don't want their running backs having to touch the ball you know 378 times in a season that's just not something that as a franchise is a good idea to wear out your franchise running back that way i mean henry will still get his don't get me wrong but i just expect the Titans to move a little bit more towards the rest of the league, which is more of a pass friendly league and take a little bit off of Derrick Henry and not have him have to carry the load for the team all the time. Next up is DK Metcalf. ADP right now, he's going as the wide receiver six. That's right about where I have him at wide receiver seven. You have him at wide receiver 19. He actually finished last year as, as wide receiver seven. So I guess I have him ranked pretty much exactly where he finished last year. That's uh, not really very imaginative of me, I guess. But, you know, looking at the players that I ranked ahead of him, I mean, for me, he he fits right in it at seven. Just based off of his physical abilities, I mean, he's 6'4", 235. The guy runs a four three three forty he's just a physical like you've seen pictures of him he is 
He's a man. Like there's not, there's no getting around his physical shape. But looking more deeply into his stats, uh, believe it or not, he actually finished as a top 12 receiver. So a, a wide receiver one more times than Stefan Diggs and Calvin Ridley last year, who finished as the wide receiver three and the wide receiver four last year. He was actually a top 36 wide receiver 11 times in those 16 games. So he was a, a basically a usable piece for your fantasy team more than 70% of the time. He was tied for 13th in total targets last year at 129. He wasn't great at the end of the year, but I think that had a little bit more to do with Russell Wilson and sort of the offense dropping off. Tyler Lockett, you know, the other all-world wide receiver that they have on that team, only had two top 24 games after week nine. So week nine is kind of where Lockett and Metcalf fell off. But a lot of that was, I think, because Russell Wilson fell off. Seattle threw the ball 558 times last year, which uh, was actually quite a few times that I, you always think of Seattle and Pete Carroll as sort of a run first offense, but uh, they were in the top half of the league in pass attempts last year. And I, I really don't see that coming down. I know that Pete Carroll said in the off season and, you know, they fired their offensive coordinator because Pete wanted to run the ball a little bit more, but you know, like we talked about a little bit with AJ Brown, this is a passing league. The teams that are winning the Super Bowl. if you look at the two teams that won the Super Bowl the last two years, you're talking about, the Chiefs and the Buccaneers, both years, those quarterbacks threw the ball over 600 times. So in order to win this league, you have to throw the ball. And even if Russell Wilson, for whatever reason, doesn't get as many pass attempts this year as he had last year, let's just assume a 10 to 15% drop off. And that's that's a pretty big drop off. It, it probably won't even be that high, but let's assume 10 to 15%. You're still looking at around 475 plus pass attempts. And I expect Metcalf to the dominant athlete that he is to be in that same range next year, probably a little bit more with the extra game in the schedule. So 140 targets in a 17 game season. I feel like if he gets 140 targets, there's no way that he's finishing outside the top 10 unless, you know, I don't think that's a possibility for him for the way he plays. I don't think he's a four wide receiver at 2020. He finished Number seven overall, he had 10 touchdowns, uh, 1,300 yards. The front end of the season, I think Seattle had a similarity to Pittsburgh, and you touched on it, that down the stretch, they seemed to turn into a different team. They seemed a little more conservative. They weren't playing as well, uh, and they didn't get too far when, when it came to uh, end of the season and postseason. And again, this was the offense as a whole to get 90 targets up until week 12. And then to only get 39 after week 12, the entire offense does go through Russell Wilson. So if he's great, they're great. If he's bad, they're bad. He does have a lot to do with that. Chris Carson was hurt a lot last year. You had your DJ Dallas's and, and different players that were filling in to try to help the running game and, and make it a little more dynamic. But uh, you look at Russell Wilson getting sacked 48 times last year. And that put that team in the fifth most, technically third, because you had a couple of teams tied at fifty, but they were they were right there. So it, it he he can hold the ball too long, he can make some mistakes, yeah. But he's still Russell Wilson. His whole thing is escapability. DK Metcalf finishing number seven, and you look at his stats and you say, well, he was seven. Tyler Lockett finished at number eight. So he was literally right behind him. The two of them were in tandem. Same thing. The, the targets went down. The offense went down. 
the fantasy points uh, up until week 12, uh, DK Metcalf had 125. After that, he had 63. Tyler Lockett, 125. So they were neck and neck. Uh, he ended up with 40 more. Yet Lockett still had solid stats. He was 100 receptions. He ended up with just a couple more targets. And we've seen him make those one-handed corner grabs in the end zone for a touchdown. I think that when it comes to Russell Wilson, if he has to lean a certain kind of way between the two, him and Lockett have a tiny bit of a better rapport. And you've also inserted a rookie, Dwayne Eskridge. I feel that he is, according to a lot of people, uh, somebody who physically is undersized and is going to have to compete, but his speed is a killer. So now if you have three wide receivers in that offense that possibly Russell Wilson can go to, uh, look to make plays with, and now you have a true, true, true home run threat where Lockett gives you that a little bit, but at the same time, they run a lot of out plays for him because he does. He, he, he has great hands. Tyler Lockett can make the plays. DK Metcalf obviously can as well. On his physical size, he's basically a tight end playing wide receiver. So it, it's very hard for cornerbacks to make a lot of plays on him, body him up, jump balls, things of that nature. It's, it's not easy for them. To see that Lockett and Metcalf were literally tied for, for their abilities last year in fantasy purposes, but now that you're inserting a guy who is a home run hitter, deep threat, who all you got to do is have him catch a ball or two, and he's going to take that ball away from one of the two guys. You would think that that makes uh, a DK Metcalf a little bit more of a guy who is going to be an underneath guy. He's going to make sure that you get the third and longs. I feel like teams are going to probably key on Metcalf first because physically there's not not a lot of cornerbacks, uh, safeties, linebackers that can physically match up with him. So if he's getting double covered, uh, that's going to leave a lot more open for other people. His numbers are going to demand double coverage. His numbers are going to demand people over the top to, to limit him. Uh, they just got Gerald Everett from the Rams as a tight end who's slightly more legit than a lot of their Johnny come lately's that they throw out there. I, I just think that Metcalf could lose not a step, but lose a bit of target, uh, lose a bit of offensive percentage. If they get the running game involved a little bit more, uh, the tight end starts to get involved. And again, Lockett has always been his go-to guy. All right. So next up, we're going to talk about Devonte Smith. Uh, we're a little bit off on him too, but, He's one of the guys that I wanted to throw in here just because I think he's so polarizing in the fantasy community altogether. There's a lot of people who are pretty high on him and a lot of people who are pretty low. So uh, he's going right now as the wide receiver 31 uh, off the board in ADP. I have him at 35. You have him at 24. Yes. So I'm going to let you go ahead and let us know why you you like him as a wide receiver too this year. Well, uh, I, I think that Devonta Smith has unlimited potential. Right now, he's dealing with a, uh, I guess they call it the week-to-week -week, uh, MCL sprain. So there's no big issues. So that actually dropped him a little bit more where I originally had him moving into training camp. There's been some negativity about Jalen Hurts as far as a passer. But to look at what he brings to the table, I'm going to read some stats from college. 2018. He was 42 for 42 receptions on targets. He caught every ball they threw to him. 
I mean, think about that for a second, just in any level of game, college, pro, high school, I don't care where you're at. He caught everything they threw at him. The next year, his catch rate was 79%. Uh, the next year, it was 79, bordering on 80%. He catches everything you throw at him. In a PPR league, that's a guy you can depend on. I think, to me, he is going to be one of those players that when you look at what the Eagles bring to the table, wide receivers, we've known for years they haven't. The last guy they had that could catch the ball was Jeremy Macklin. So you're bordering on a decade with consistent hands. Wide receivers, we're not talking tight ends. In 2020, of the nine wide receivers, their catch rate was 54.9%. In 2019, when the offense didn't fall off a cliff, it was 53.7 with nine receivers factored in. Not talking about tight ends, not talking about running backs, but total catch rate. Their wide receivers in the last two years cannot catch the football. Their offense is lagged because they can't catch the football. You leaned on Zach Ertz to catch you over 100 balls how many times. You've gone with a little bit out of the backfield. You had Miles Sanders go from the guy who caught everything to the guy who caught nothing. You look at a player come through of this nature. This is why they drafted him to be that guy. There's a lot of comparisons to a guy by the name of Marvin Harrison, who was a guy who was undersized, who wasn't the fastest, but he caught everything and could get open and be the most important player for a quarterback who we just saw this weekend go into the Hall of Fame and get his gold jacket. He's not going to look back on a Denver wide receiver. He's not going to look back on, per se, even a Reggie Wayne, who was a big part of his career. When it comes down to it, if you can be compared to Marvin Harrison, to have a guy who can catch almost 80% of everything you throw to him, on a team that can't catch barely half of the balls thrown to them, uh, to me, it's a no-brainer. Uh, in a PPR league, he's going to be the guy who gets the lion's share of targets, receptions. And if you're in the goal line area, you're going to look for a guy who you know you can depend on. He does have speed. He has game speed. He's not a blazer, but he's a guy who can get open. He's a guy who can get downfield. He did special teams his senior season. You look at that Alabama team and what they've put into the NFL over the last few years, all these guys are playing right now. But to know that behind the scenes, he was the best of the best because he wasn't the big play guy, but he was the catch guy. He he was His hands are glue on a team where everybody else's hands are mud. Uh, you have Shane Steichen taking over the offensive role as far as coordinator. And what they did last year with Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, he had 147 targets. He caught 100 balls. So to me, uh, it's a no-brainer that Devonta Smith is going to be that good, where he's a top 25, top 30 wide receiver. He has the potential for more just based off of the catches alone. Yeah, there's no doubt that his talent is exceptional. I mean, you don't put up the kind of numbers he put up in college, you know, just being an average player. I mean, obviously, he was a Heisman Trophy winner, which you don't see wide receivers win Heisman trophies on a regular basis. That generally is something that's reserved for quarterbacks. Unfortunately for me, I guess the reason that I have him ranked a little bit lower than ADP and, and a lot lower than you is I, I just don't see the Eagles offense being very good. And that really pains me to say that because, you know, obviously we're Eagles fans, but I don't see how a team with a quarterback who was only completing 52% of his passes, granted, it was in a four game stretch last year. And obviously, you know, we've seen guys like Josh Allen go from, you know, the, the 
lowest completion percentage in the league or one of the lowest completion percentages in the league to, you know, one of the highest completion percentages in the league. So it's not out of the question that Hertz could do that. And maybe a healthy Smith and a healthy Jalen Rager can help raise that completion percentage for Hertz. I think there's a decent chance that Smith finishes uh, above where he's being drafted, which, you know, like we said, is the wide receiver 31, but I can't see him finishing much higher than that with Hurt throwing him the ball unless that 52% changes in a, in a dramatic way. Obviously his college career was prolific, but that doesn't always necessarily translate to success in the NFL. For me, sort of the way you talked about some of the players in the running back episode that we did last week. To me, I want to see it first. I'm going to be okay being wrong if he finishes, you know, as a top 20 receiver and I have him at 35. I'm I'm okay being wrong there because he proved me wrong. But until I actually see something from him on the NFL level, not you know, that he has anything necessarily to prove to me. But until I see something on the NFL level, I just can't get on board with a huge season from him knowing where he's at, what offense he's on. If he had gone to, you know, let's say he had slipped all the way down and gone to the Chiefs and been their number two across from Tyreek Hill. Sure, absolutely. I I could see a, a much bigger season on an offense like that. But I expect the Eagles unfortunately to be pretty pathetic this year and while smith is otherworldly in terms of talent i don't know if he can single-handedly save the eagles offense no i i agree uh not single-handedly um on that level but i feel like he's going to be the best player on a bad team and we've seen so many of those guys just based on the volume uh, if they're behind in games, he's going to be a guy they throw to. All right. So for the last two, we kind of are all over the place with our rankings on the wide receiving core for the Bucks and for the Steelers. Obviously, we each have differing opinions on who we feel is going to be the better receivers on those respective teams. So Let's start with the Bucks and tell me how you think the Bucks are going to, I guess, divvy out their their targets and their receptions this year. You just said it. I mean, it, looking at both of those teams, they kind of have a surplus of talent, one, two, and three. Obviously, Pittsburgh last year, you had Chase Claypool coming into the mix. We'll talk about him in a minute. Um, you look at it in addition to Tampa Bay. Uh, last year, the biggest addition was Tom Brady, and he came in and, you know, uh, just meanwhile, just win another Super Bowl, do what I got to do. Mike Evans has been there. He's a stalwart. He's a go-to number one top 10 fantasy wide receiver. Uh, Chris Godwin has been a fantasy darling. He has some injury issues, and, you know, he was a number two. And then you introduce Antonio Brown who we know has been literally a number one fantasy wide receiver and you put him on that team and that's coming off of his trial run with new England and some off the field issues. And he came in and played nice and did what he needed to do. Look at it last year. If you averaged all three guys out, 
based on a 17-game season. Ironically, Antonio Brown ends up with the most targets. He didn't have all the games, but if you average it on the 17-game season, uh, it would be 131 targets for Antonio Brown. It would be uh, 115 for Mike Evans, and you're looking at 119 for Chris Godwin. I feel like Chris Godwin, maybe just because he's the youngest player on the team, uh, he had some really nice games with Brady, that he's the guy that they may lean on a little bit more when it comes to trying to get him to that next level. Again, Brown has uh, obviously the pedigree, and they're all coming off a Super Bowl. But to turn around and think that, all three of these guys are going to be there. Yeah, with Brady, obviously that offense goes through him. It's pass, 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 pass. It's very similar. Pat and I talked before. It's very similar to what he did in New England. It's pass first, pass second, maybe run third, but probably pass. Don't forget, too, you have the tight ends. You have three options down there. His old buddy Gronk, we saw him reappear in the Super Bowl. O.J. Howard, who has yet to really get along, I guess, to say, between injury and whatnot uh, with this team and Cameron Brait, who has always been a guy who, when he's on the field, he's a legit fantasy option. You have a lot of mouths to feed down there. But again, if Brady's dropping 3,500, 4,000 yards, I tend to feel that Brown's definitely going to take probably a lot of the a lot of the coverage his way because he gives you everything. He gives you home run ability. He can catch the ball. He's very great hands. He's always been that guy. And he's a red zone threat. Evans monster. We we know what he brings to Tampa Bay. He was, uh, even in the bad times when, when Jameis was throwing up 50 touchdowns back in the day, he was the guy. Godwin, to me, strikes me as being the guy that's going to probably benefit the most um, from maybe being a little unsung or the underneath guy where you can't cover one guy and two guys and three guys and four guys and five guys at the same time. I think that Evans is always going to be the big target. And I think that Brandon is possibly going to be complimentary. Uh, again, he's not a kid anymore, so he may have lost a step. We'll see how it goes. But I would say Godwin one, Evans two, a close second, and Brown three. Brown's three still being possibly a top 30, top 25 I think the only thing I disagree with is I feel like Evans is and has been the number one and will remain the number one. That's again, that's just my feeling on the situation. Looking back at Evans career, did you know that? And I didn't know this until I looked it up, that he is the only wide receiver in NFL history to start their career with seven straight 1000 yard seasons. Jerry Rice didn't do it. Randy Boss didn't do it. No one has started their career with seven straight 1000 yard seasons. He's actually had a hundred plus targets in each of those seasons as well. So yeah, he's, he's Joe volume. Absolutely. And he's like you said, he's their red zone guy. He's, he's, he's got the build for red zone passes, six foot five, 231 pounds. Evans is sort of like the locker room leader, even though Antonio Brown has had a, a more, you know, successful career. I feel like when Tom Brady came into the Bucks organization, he kind of knew right away that he needed to build his relationship with Mike Evans because Mike Evans was sort of the alpha in that locker room. Yeah. The reason I have Evans ranked above Godwin is just that. I, I feel like while Godwin is extremely talented, you know, finished as the number two overall wide receiver in 2019, he's obviously mm -hmm. got the talent and the ability to do yeah. that. 
you know, that was a completely different team that year. Now that Brady is there, you know, Brady is the king of spreading the ball around. I think all three of these guys are going to get targets, which is why I have all three of them ranked inside my top 30. Maybe one of them falls off. Like you said, maybe it's Brown, maybe it's Godwin, but I don't think that Evans is going to be the guy who, for whatever reason, gets sort of cast aside in that offense. I don't think any of them are going to get cast aside, but if if anyone is going to remain in this sort of position or status that they're in, in the pecking order of that team, I feel like that's got to be Mike Evans for me. I do have, of course, Godwin ranked higher than Antonio Brown, but a lot of the reports that I'm reading are even making me second guess that as, as good as Godwin is. We have to remember that Antonio Brown at one point was a top five wide receiver for six straight years. The guy has the talent. Yes, he's older now than he obviously was you know, from 2013 to 2018, I believe, is when he had those those monster seasons. He was never a top five wide receiver based on his speed or based on his size. He was always a guy who, like we talked about with Devonta Smith earlier, He's a guy that knows how to get open. And if you put the ball anywhere near him, he's going to catch it. I actually just read a uh, a tweet today from at Carmi V on Twitter. It was a quote. Bruce Arian said that Antonio Brown is playing at a speed that he was four or five years ago. Four or five years ago was right in the wheelhouse of all of those great seasons for Antonio Brown. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to get younger. I mean, he is 33 years old, so obviously he's on the down side of his career, but I think he's still talented enough to put up really good numbers and could very easily pass Chris Godwin as sort of the second option on this team. The Pittsburgh Steelers are in a similar situation. They have three outstanding wide receivers, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, who you know everybody kind of thought was going to take over the role as the number one wide receiver when Antonio Brown sort of just dropped out of football. Deontay Johnson, who came on strong last year, and Chase Claypool, who was a rookie last year, who, as Eagles fans, we know uh, that guy can do some damage in a game. He he destroyed yes, the Eagles last year. <laughs> Uh, which, well, if you could play against Nate Gary in, in poor car, <laughs> poor sticks coverage with uh, Jim Swartz, yeah, you're 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 locked in. So these guys, we have them all ranked uh, slightly differently. We have Juju and Claypool ranked very close in ranking, but the big discrepancy is I have Deontay Johnson at 19, you have him down at 40, and I'm curious to hear why uh, you're so low on Deontay Johnson and. Uh, again, I'm assuming it's just because you feel like, you know, maybe Juju steps up or or Claypool sort of takes over. I mean, this it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Pittsburgh this year. You have three dominant wide receivers. Claypool came on strong as a rookie. Juju is the guy. And Deontay Johnson was the guy of promise. To look at the way their offense ended up falling off, they were good, but they, they passed the ball a ton. Uh, they through for 650 plus attempts with Ben Roethlisberger, whose arm probably wasn't ready for it. And this is a team that normally would be a run first team uh, with a James Conner who was banged up again and and multiple backups that that came through. Basically, their big thing in the draft was Najee Harris. 
they've drafted a running back in the first round. That means that the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to turn around and dedicate their offense to run with the passing still involved. But they want a guy who's going to be there, not missing games, putting up numbers out of a big program. And so far, they're very pleased in camp. And obviously, we saw a little bit of a sample size. He looked looked pretty decent in the Hall of Fame game, albeit uh, a week one preseason game where it's borderline flag football. Juju's on a one-year deal, a prove-it deal. Uh, he was flirting with a couple teams, Eagles, a couple others. And he is the established guy. He's the man in that offense. He's going to try to make a name for himself. He's going to make it a point to get open. He's going to make it a point to be the number one guy. We saw Chase Claypool put up what he put up last year. Uh, he's had a couple, like a hiccup off field and, and stuff like that. Deontay Johnson has looked to be a solid wide receiver. My problem being that if this team reverts back to what they used to do with running the football more than passing or, or a little bit more balanced. Obviously, targets, period, are going to get taken away from wide receivers. Again, Deontay Johnson looks great. But, I mean, at the end of the day, they're always going to be uh, a downhill kind of team. They're going to control the football. They're going to beat you with some bigger plays. But they're going to lean a lot more heavily on the running game. So let me make the case for Deontay Johnson doing the research. I actually have Johnson ranked the highest of the three. And I feel like in order for the Pittsburgh Steelers to be successful, they need to maybe get back to some of the things that they were doing when Antonio Brown was there. And I'm not comparing Deontay Johnson to Antonio Brown by any means. Uh, I'm just saying that I feel like Juju is a better second receiver than he is, you know, trying to be the main guy. So last year, Johnson, he played in 15 games, but he, he essentially missed three games due to injury. He missed one completely week six, but in week three and week five, he only had three total targets. So I'm, I'm going to throw those games out and count it as him playing 13 games, basically, because that's that's the amount of games that he actually contributed to. Based off of those numbers, if you take a look at his total targets, which was 144, and you divide that by 13, Deontay Johnson was averaging 10.8 targets per game. That would have been number one in the entire NFL. Stephon Diggs averaged just over 10, and he was the target leader in the entire NFL with 166. Give Deontay Johnson a full 16 games, and he would have been somewhere around 170 targets which is insane Michael Thomas type targets. Now, a lot of those were short targets. He only averaged 6.4 yards per target, but Juju wasn't much better. He only averaged 6.5. So I think the way the Steelers offense ran last year, like you said, they didn't really have a running game. I think they made up for the lack of running game or tried to make up for the lack of running game with the short passing game. If they come out and throw the ball as much and as short as they did last year, I feel like Deontay Johnson, especially in your PPR and your half PPR leagues, is going to be the benefactor. And he's going to be the guy that you really want on your team. He may not necessarily score you all the touchdowns, but I feel like he's going to basically be what Antonio Brown was and allow Juju Smith-Schuster to sort of take that role as the secondary wide receiver. Uh, that he succeeded in back in 2018. These last two teams are, are a lot more opinion-based with looking into 
what is legitimate and what's not. I feel that it is something that is interchangeable. So again, for my opinion of, you know, Juju being here, it, it could easily be Deontay Johnson. He's a stud. Uh, he He's a top 25 guy. And, and again, his ceiling is as high as anybody else's on that team. And that's going to do it for this week for the Fantasy Football Podcast from the Nine Route. On behalf of Pat, my name is Scott. Thank you for listening, folks. We'll talk to you next week. 